Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Scan Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Annie. Um, I'm excited to introduce our guest. Well, actually, Annie will be (laughs) this evening. Uh, However, first, uh, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, or CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. If you'd like to be a part of the panel this evening, please call 646-595-2118, and my co-host will meet you on the back line and ask if you'd like to ask a question or have anything to say or if you'd just like to listen. We'd love to have you join us and support our guests this evening. And I'm going to turn it over to Annie right now. Can you also give us a scan number? Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Scan Stop Child Abuse Now, show number 3104. And our guest host tonight is Monica Boglin from Pulley Up, Washington, a survivor of sexual, physical, and emotional child abuse. Her predators were all family members, and her her parents were intent on passing on to Monica the behavior that their parents had done to them. She also has lived with lupus since she was 29, a painful autoimmune disease that has long been linked to adverse childhood experiences, ACEs. Monica became a life coach and a therapist and notes, quote, I finally found a way to forgive the unforgivable and to firmly keep anyone and everything harmful out of my life, 
she's earned her excuse me she's earned her master's degree in metaphysical science and counseling and is well on her way to earning a PhD in the same field. Quote, I hope to further use my story as a way to become of service and to help those along the path to their own healing, because I know now that hope and help is available. Unquote. On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survival professionals who assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call-in participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that spring from questions and topics brought to us by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. And with that, I am going to introduce Monica. Hello, Monica. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? Hi, Monica. Glad you could make it tonight. Appreciate it. And glad you're our special guest. And uh, Uh, looking forward, I guess you've been on the show before, huh? I have been hosting a little bit over a year now. So I'm just really excited on... um, where the program is, uh, just feeling like I'm, I'm staying consistent with reaching out with, with what our listeners need, you know, whether it's going to be Absolutely. one person on the panel or five or ten. Um, we just need to be able to keep this thing going and be consistent for the listeners that are out there because for, as we know, everyone's child that is scared into silence about their abuse, that becomes one adult who has not yet healed from that abuse. So uh, I just want to say thank you for all of the listeners who are tuning in um, that are going to listen now, that listen at a later date. We thank you. We welcome you and trust and believe we are all thinking about you because all of us as survivor professionals have been in the same position as you. And we're seeking out this thing called healing and that being in a group such as this is going to be insurmountable to helping you along that journey. Well, we appreciate that, Monica, and we appreciate you coming back. And I wanted to know, too, that I was looking up um, Child Abuse Podcast and then had the top 30, and I was sure excited to see NASCO was number one. <laughs> that was real exciting. Awesome. And uh, lots of people have been coming to the support groups and listening to Black Tech radio shows. And for those that don't know, all these shows are archived. And uh, you can go back and listen to them. And then if um, we're looking for um, survivor um, special guests, and we're also looking for professionals, as uh, Monica is both. So we really appreciate it. And uh, Monica, this is your show. I'm going to let you take it away. Thank you. And we have one other caller, I think, maybe more, but then my co-host, Annie, as well. Okay. It's your show. Go ahead. <laughs> Hey there, Annie. How are you doing tonight? I think she's still she, with us. She, she might be on the back line, she, she okay. be on the back line uh, um, okay. welcoming our panel. Yeah. Sure. 
help. Go and ahead. to any yeah. of our callers, thank you all for calling in. So I'm just going to jump right in there tonight. Uh, so we have an hour and a half for tonight's show. I want the topic hopefully to be something going into the new year since this will be the first uh, show for me hosting for NASA for this year. And I want to, again, be kind of put my money where my mouth is. And the one thing that I can tell people for sure, when I made the cognizant as well as the physical effort to start putting me first, putting my healing first, being truthful about my experiences first. Once I began to do that, how many months and years ago that that's been, right, so it happens at different times for us, that is when the light first clicked on for me that, hey, I can do this. We can revisit the trauma. We can speak about the trauma. We don't have to always be in such a place of brokenness and breakdown about the trauma because what you are doing is if you're taking away the power from the abuser by remaining silent. So once you're able to speak truthfully and speak compassionately, where both of those as a, in your forbearance, which is nothing more than a sense of endurance, is what we all do every day that we get up and move forward in spite of being abused. Again, I want to congratulate you all for doing just that. But with regards to where we are in our own journey, I want this topic tonight to be focused literally on that. So tonight's topic is trauma-informed care practices for adult trauma and abuse survivors. So I want us to focus more on the things that we are doing can do by listening to one another, things that may have worked or didn't work, to try to put more care, again, cognizance and more awareness and be conscious about caregiving to ourselves and care a little less about the abuser and the abuse. Now, hear me clearly. I am not saying that any of us need to just sweep anything under the rug and forget that the abuse happened. In my instance, I have lupus, which was diagnosed close to 20 years ago. I recently had another medical condition about two months ago, and a CAT scan also found a hairline fracture at the base of my last vertebrae. Go back and read the exact number that the doctor gave me. Lupus just in the last 10 years, I've heard it's been related to ACEs, which is adult, uh, I'm sorry, ACEs, which are going to be a variety of things, lupus, other um, things such as diabetes, obesity with children, adult adverse, I'm sorry, adverse childhood experiences. So any experience that you've had as a child that was adverse to your healthfulness and wholeness can be related to some type of malfunction or dysfunction in the body later on. Does it have to show up specifically as mental illness? No, it doesn't. But it will show up. And in my case, I've had now in a span of 20 years two different occasions in which two major medical issues have um, shown themselves up. 
And in the instance specifically with lupus, we kind of didn't know what we were looking at when I was first diagnosed. Being more cognizant and getting health care and staying with support groups, and we begin to figure out that the body just doesn't attack itself for no reason. There's something there. So your body doesn't build up cortisol and a lot of these other hormone building and supporting types of hormones when you're a kid, when your body physically, mentally, psychologically, when you're literally under attack every day of abuse, sexual, physical, uh, mental, all of it goes in there when you're just in an unhealthy environment. And in the instance that I found a hairline fracture two months ago, and the doctor told me it's a juvenile size hairline fracture. So nothing else is going on in my life being a juvenile in and around the age of 11 or 12 other than horsing around with my brothers and sisters and cousins as we did every summer and other than getting regularly abused in the home with my abusers. So I want us to understand that we have to as early as it's possible when we become of age, when we are adults, and we are able to literally escape get away from the abusers. We hopefully are cognizant enough to know that we're going to have to now put effort into doing things that are going to be preventive because some illnesses, some diseases, as in my case, they won't show up for 20 or plus more years. And what you don't want to do is live the latter part of your life not facing the trauma or the abuse and then finding the root of that trauma or the abuse and you have not made enough steps or efforts towards changing the things within yourself, your own habits or behaviors that need to be changed in order to further prevent your physical and mental health and well-being. As we know, for those that are not on the journey to healing, Unfortunately, abuse is a taught behavior. Just as our abusers abuse us, someone abused them. So we want to be able to be as cognizant as we can to try to understand what trauma in adult looks like and how we can best put forth those much-needed practices for caregiving to ourselves so that we now can um, relate better and be proactive in preventive methods. So with that being oh, that said, was I'm great, gonna... that was a great introduction. Um, I um, I just want to say I really like when you said, uh, um, you know, uh, about our power. You know, um, sometimes I even forget today um, that you know today I had the power. I didn't have the power when I was a child over a lot of things. You know, and I, I still tell myself, you know. Hey, wait, I have the power. I have the power to keep myself safe, and I deserve to be safe. And, boy, what a concept that is, you know. Um, I didn't escape till I was 21 and ended up in the psych ward, and that's where my healing began. Um, and when I first ended up in the psych ward, you know, I stayed there for a while and learned a lot of stuff, and I didn't want to leave because it was the first time in my life I ever felt safe, you know. And they pretty much had to boot me out the door. But that's when I got into therapy and started my healing process. That was when I was 21. And I'm be 61 on Monday. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's been quite a journey. And the people say, oh, are you healed? I said, I'll be 
healing until I take my last breath. And uh, we, I think we have at least one other panel member that might want to ask a question. And, but you you gave a lot of information there, and thank you very much. I'm going to awesome. turn over to Andy. Mm-hmm. Hi, it's Lori. Um, yeah, I got really engulfed in what you were saying. Uh, very, very information was coming out that I didn't even think about. Um, I'm a bit older. I'm like 65, so I went through a couple more years. And what I've got from it is uh, fibromyalgia, um, which I got at 17, diagnosed, and I wear full body braces just to hold me up, or um, pillows around me because everything is just like torn away, eaten away. And um, I also have a sarcoidosis. Uh, which is that infectious cell that bounces from organ to organ, another autoimmune disease, and then I have my uh, Morpheus scleroderma, which is basically the inside of my throat is getting closed up um, by what's coming. I had a really bad, bad, bad childhood. So my body is like my humanologist says, about 90 years old, 90, 95 years old. But uh, I try to function, you know, what I can. And um, what you're doing, I think, is amazing because you're actually in in motion. Um, I got sidetracked. I have a, uh, a handicapped son, so I don't put me first. I, I always came second with him. I only had about a four-year break between when I left. I went and saw an incest therapist for four years. But once he's been born, you know, I'm focused on him first. So tonight is very interesting for me because I want to hear how far you got. Thank you for your contribution on that. And um, I do want to say that, again, um, we've got to be realistic. We know that we step out into life without many of the – social skills that we need as an adult. You know, for the most part, people just tell you to wait till you become an adult, get out there and get a job, and maybe go to college, you know, get married and have kids. There, There's no roadmap that people actually give us only because no one is giving them one. So mm-hmm. what I begin to do, which is, is played best for me, once I be fully had no choice but to accept and understand the origin of lupus, and nothing else makes sense as far as why and otherwise um, I was in sports in high school as a high school athlete all up through high school, fairly active, running three and four, five miles a day, two or three days a week in the gym. Why at 27 or 28 years old my body says, hey, um, we don't feel like doing this anymore, so we're going to slightly shut down on you, and it's up to you and your doctors to figure out why. Monica, could I interrupt you and ask you one quick question? Could you explain um, um, what what that is so that um, in case anybody um, hasn't been diagnosed and may have the symptoms, they could uh, lupus seek help? Is, uh, yeah. Lupus is systematic erythematosus. Systematic lupus erythematosus. And what it is, it falls into the family of a large number of family of our caller just said, I believe, scleroderma and uh, sarcoidosis. It falls into the family of autoimmune diseases. The autoimmune disease happens 
when there is literally a battle between the production of red blood cells and white blood cells in the body. Red blood cells are made and produced and pumped through the body every day as your body regenerates and produces blood every day. However, your body also produces white blood cells that to a fault are there to help fight off the invasion of would-be germs, diseases, parasites, bacteria, what have you. What happens is the white blood cells now become so overactive that they begin to dominate the production of the white blood cells. And they don't recognize the fact that your body is sick from a perceived invasion or an actual invasion, which means autoimmune. The perceived invasion in the instance of autoimmune people is started as early as whatever age according to ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, that the body was not receiving proper care and attention or just fundamentally being in a healthy environment. You don't have to be beat up every day or raped every day or molested every day by your abusers, but the simple fact, and we'll talk about that shortly, that it happened once, a child's mind now develops a full-on sense of 100%, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wearing a heightened sense of protectiveness out of Mm -hmm. fear. You are waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting for them to enter your room. You're waiting to see if you drop the socks on laundry and if you're going to get smacked. You're waiting for whatever else to happen. So psychologically, your body is not producing those natural heightened endorphin chemicals like you do when you're in a state of euphoria, meaning being a happy-go-lucky kid. Your body is now excessively producing things like uh, cortisol, and again, your white blood cells now begin to overproduce themselves because the body has tricked itself into believing that it's sick or there is an invasion due to the, again, real, re- realistic or perceived threat of the abuse. So I hope that breaks down trying to tie in all the areas of what autoimmune is and primarily where it happens. So if anyone has been diagnosed with the autoimmune disease, they can pretty much tell you that the signs symptoms, signifiers of the disease have been there for several years, diagnosis, and Mm -hmm. the diagnosis happening in early to mid-adulthood. On average, I believe my doctor told me that the symptoms itself could probably have showed up at least seven or more years prior to the actual diagnosis, which is what happened to me. I began to show signs and symptoms at 12 and 13 years old. My diagnosis didn't come until I was 28. And what were the symptoms that you experienced? Symptoms as a 12 and 13-year-old kid, um, I developed discoid lupus. Discoid lupus is going to be regulated to only uh, typically one body organ. So I had what we get 
in and around the face, which is really bad facial and skin rashes. And the definition of lupus itself, historically, it is a Latin or Greek word in its origin, forgive me right now, but it actually means wolf or face of the wolf. So I tell people, um, does anyone remember the British singer Seal that used to be married to Heidi Klum? Years and years ago, he was really big in the 90s. He still has very prominent facial scarring along his face, and it could have been cosmetically repaired years later. However, he was a victim of childhood discoid lupus, and that is what the scarring along the facial area has. So I had that as a kid, far back as to where my ears were and a little bit down my neck. The doctors told my parents I just had excessively sensitive skin and to not wear the uh, fake jewelry and um, to keep all types of creams and lotions and things on my face, drink plenty of water. I had photosensitive sensitivity. I couldn't stay out in the sun very long. I would have fainting spells. So if my cousins and brothers and sisters were out tearing up the neighborhood by 5 o'clock in the evening in the south, it's still 85 degrees. So I couldn't yeah. take it. I was I was the kid who was holding everyone back. So I would pass out, get overheated, get dehydrated, and that was the fix, where she's got to come in the house and under the air and drink water, but I'm sitting in the window you know, wishing and dreaming that I'm outside with, with my family doing mm-hmm. what kids do, you know. Sure, sure. Was unable to do that. What it did was multiply. Um, I had a few summers where that happened back to back for a couple of years up until maybe after the year that I left high school. It was only really prominent during the summertime, and we attributed that again to the heat and the heat exposure and the sun exposure. And during my first year, I worked several years as a cosmetologist, and the first year of actually being in school to train as a cosmetologist, the breakouts in the skin rashes returned, but this time they showed up really prevalent on my hands, fingers, and so the doctors once again said, well, this is it, and this is what's happening, so I'm telling them, I'm 18 now, I'm 19, I'm not in the sun a lot, I go to school, I leave there, I jump in my car, I have to go to my job part-time that night. By the time I get home, the sun's down, it's dark outside, I'm not doing those things anymore. Why am I still having these issues? So they likened it to just being a hazard of being a hairstylist and maybe that I was showing some type of contact dermatitis to some of the chemicals that I was using. And once again, after a couple months of that flare-up, then it would go away. I had no more issue with any of that for a few years until I dealt with another medical anomaly. And that is what began to, I guess, just happenstance, the particular doctor that I was seeing. He says, well, for some of the signs and symptoms that I'm seeing with you that were more physically prominent, I began Mm -hmm. to show small patches of lightening and whitening of my skin, which is vitiligo, very similar to what Michael Jackson had, but just not as completely mm-hmm. pale. It just yeah. maybe looked like I had 
you know, a bunch of spotted freckles in different places. Okay. And the doctor saw that, and it took about a year testing, and he said, well, yes, this is what I think this is because nothing else makes sense. And you typically have to have about five or six elements on this scale of about 10 different points. And at some point, show all of these different elements, and then they finally ping it with the blood test. And the blood test then shows the overproduction of the white blood cells. Okay. So that's so when particular you, when did with you connect, um When did you make a connection between um, um, lupus and uh, your child abuse? Because you made that connection, and then you talked about that happened uh, about ten years power. after I was diagnosed with lupus. And again, doing more research, just staying proactive. Lupus Foundation of America is a great one. Uh, a lot of information, different Facebook groups, people share information. But I specifically came across um, a TED Talk maybe five or six years ago now, and a TED Talk featured a doctor who is now the Surgeon General of the State of California, Dr. Nadine Burke, B-U-R-K-E. And a part of her TED Talk, on the origins of ACEs, where they initially were trying to pinpoint um, childhood and juvenile obesity issues, and realizing that a common link in what a lot of kids went through that they were able to analyze, visit with psychologically, that a lot of these kids had a lot of different adverse childhoods. And, again, adverse is going to be adverse anything that could be in abundance. So anything that is not healthy is going to be unhealthy. Um, And so just putting all of that together over the years, listening to my doctor early on without him actually knowing himself what ACEs was, but him letting me know that, your blood levels are elevated whenever you're stressed out. If you're coming for a doctor's appointment to see me, I don't need to see your blood levels elevated. Whatever is stressing you out, you have to stop it. And so I begin to realize that even in the midst of me being diagnosed, I had this toxic family and abusive parents, they're alive and just will not die, Mm -hmm. who are still alive and have absolutely no desire to connect their behavior to my well-being. So you were still involved involved with your family at that point then, is what you're saying? I mean, you were... Well, I had to, again, realizing and being on this Mm -hmm. journey, understanding that an abuser cannot understand, say the word, come to any type of, of conclusion that what they do is abusive, when they actually do not believe it is abuse, that lets me know how deeply rooted their abuse is or was because they've never identified it. Um, So when I begin to realize that I was not in healthy environments, I begin to physically put the distance between myself and anything that was toxic or negative. Once I begin to do that, 
and then would circle back to see my doctor, feeling fairly good. This, that, and the others. Hey, doctor, I'm coming in. The blood pressure's down pretty good. The blood levels are pretty good. He's like, yeah, everything looks fine. Whatever you're doing, continue to do it because you are not in a position to where this illness is never going to go away. You have it for the rest of your life, but it's up to you how you manage it. So being cognizant, carry that around with me, it has also become um, my biggest war cry. Anyone, anywhere, anything negative, anything toxic, you have the ability to put people down. You have the ability to not say anything positive, whether you are actually abusing others in my physical sight, if, if I detect it in any way, shape, form. Two things happen with that type of energy. Either I personally am going to get up and get the hell away from it, or mm-hmm. two, the person that I allow around me, they have to go because there is no fixing that. It's not my job to fix you. It is not my job to judge you. But you are bringing mm-hmm. an energy to me that I've worked too hard to remove out of my life because I care more about myself than I care about you and your negativity. Yeah. That, that's a different place to get to because that was my thing that, you know, I always internalized it as there was something wrong with me, you know, that, that these people were treating me negative. I just, you know, internalized it as I was, you know, something mentally wrong with me that, you know, this just kept happening. And, and you mentioned the always fearing the other shoe to drop. I felt that too, but it wasn't just like from the abuser anymore. It was from just society in general. I mean, didn't trust anybody at all. Well, the reason reason we feel that way, and again, those types of feelings are going to follow us into adult life because the abuser would never be the caregiver. So they're not teaching us anything other than to abuse, support Mm -hmm. the abuse, pretend the abuse is not happening, they're teaching us everything else other than those positive, good, caregiving mm-hmm. things. And so blame ourselves. in my case, it took me being diagnosed with an illness like lupus to wake me up and to say, yes, you endured this. Yes, this is as serious as what it really was. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't just a couple of things. And again, I'm almost 50 years old now, and to have yet again another medical issue that I have a hairline, whatever size fracture that I've got to go back in for another MRI to get it actually measured, that the doctor has said there's no fixing it because it's already been fused together. That's how old it is. But for me now to sit and realize 10 or 11 years old, I'm being hit or I'm being kicked or I'm being pushed against the wall or knocked out of a chair hard enough to Mm -hmm. fracture a bone in my body. At that point, looking at the doctor and just giving him a yes or a no and just told him I was abused as a kid. And he said, well, it can come from a variety of factors, but some type of blunt force trauma or injury to the body will be Mm -hmm. And so you recognize I really didn't go into too much more specifics with him. I didn't go into too much more specifics with him, but I literally had to tell myself, this is it. There is no more waiting.
for these abusers at every three, four, five years that I pick up the phone to say hello to make sure that they're not dead, if they need something on their wills or their insurance, keep it at mm-hmm. a good five or ten minutes and move on. I made it a point at that day to say, okay, this is it. I cannot do anything else other than 100%, 1,000% commit to caring about myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's so, so my medical cool. issue with them. What, and what I can people do? I'm sorry, I'll interrupt you. I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish what you're talking um, but I just had to bring up the medical issue with them because I needed some history on what I was going through. And the history had to come from both sides of the family. So when I let them both know, again, this is what lupus is, this is what it does, the medical issue I'm dealing with now is going to require surgery. It's not life-threatening, but I have to have it. The reason I have to have it is because the lupus makes everything else in the body go haywire. And so I just have to sit and wait and get it done. But, yes, you all are the reason that I have lupus. And, yes, your abuse, you're the reason now why I have a hairline fracture at the base of my spinal column. You would have thought that I told these two people that I was outside in their front yard planting a nuclear bomb. Right. Because the conversation went from hearing things just in the same tone and conversation I'm doing now to actually placing those skeletal bones I pulled out the closet, placing it at their feet. And this is just a phone call. Oh, wow. How dare yeah. you? How dare you? You're lying. It's not our fault. Your doctors are crazy. Boop, 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 boop. And there the conversation went. So I continue to let them deny and deny and deny, but at the end of them finally, I guess, talking themselves into a tizzy that they stopped talking. And I said, well, you know what? At least I can thank you all for not lying about abusing us. You haven't Uh admitted that you abused. You haven't admitted that you abused me, but you didn't lie and say that the abuse didn't happen. You're denying uh, you're denying that my medical issues are a result of your abuse. So if this is all you're able to give, thank you for that. But other than the medical things, and it's got to be something else life-threatening, I don't have a reason to talk to either of you again, ever. I care and will love me more. You need to hear that because you still, at almost 80 years old, do not love yourself. You do not care for yourself. You do not love each other as a husband and wife. You do not love your children as sons and daughters or grandchildren as grandchildren and granddaughters because you continue to deny the truth. You want to live your life with skeletons in the closet and dirt swept under the rug and only because someone abused you and you refuse to live free of that. But you right. can you can try as much as you can to use these same emotional and psychological weapons against me that you've done all of my life. They don't work anymore. They don't you don't have any power here anymore. Yeah. The truth so is what the truth power. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And were you in therapy at this point? Or were you in therapy at this point, or, or you just came to these conclusions because of your medical um, situation? I wasn't even looking for medical because the medical issue literally happened overnight. I went to work one day, and the next day I found myself in the emergency room at 5 in the evening, two days before Thanksgiving. And I've been on bed rest ever since then. Wow. Fingers crossed, everything with the surgery is going to be scheduled. All everything's proceeding up to that. It's just we're looking good. We're looking good. We just got to get you ready. Just got to, you know, get a schedule done. Mm-hmm. I would have probably been able to get in sooner, but because of the holiday, all doctors decide that they don't want to do any work done on holidays. So is anyone else. So you don't have to wait right. a little bit. But I wasn't expecting closure. I wasn't expecting anything. I literally just called because I had to get the medical history information from them um, with some things on my insurance and getting some information over to the hospital. Yeah. And this is a part of the conversation because the, the scan during the emergency room visit is where that doctor found the fracture. And I said, okay. told myself, it's just, Speaking in this same tone, not in a a, a, a finger pointing tone. A you did this or you did that. I, yeah. I don't do that anymore. That energy is gone. Not conference. Yeah. But I think that they still felt that I hit them out of left field when oh, yeah. I said I told the doctor that the two of you abused me as a child. When that sentence came out, you again you would have thought that I was in their front yard with my hand yeah. on a, a, a thumb of the compressor to a nuclear bomb because mm-hmm. it exposed them to me telling and using the word abuse to someone else. So right. they're not mentally ill people. They know and highly respect doctors and the medical community and what they're able to do. So the fact that I spoke it to a doctor and the doctor confirmed it. The lupus, I told them over five years ago, but, again, they just refused to hear things. And I realized I mean, I've been feeding them information, still protecting their feelings is what I realized. This past time, mm-hmm. I said it wasn't a cognizant effort to not spare their feelings, right. but it was, no, the doctor agreed. Abuse in childhood can show up with children with broken bones. You've been Mm -hmm. married to your wife, my mother, for over 50 years, and she has a broken middle finger on her left hand next to her ring finger. I Uh asked her over 25 years ago, how did that bone get broken? Because she never fixed it. And she told me, Mm -hmm. in lack of a better word, you kick the crap out of her doing one of your drunken coming home at 4 o'clock in the morning type of tirades, and you would not allow her to go to the hospital and get it fixed because you knew telling the truth, what telling the truth to a doctor at a hospital would mean potentially for you. Right. So uh, the closure happened because it was basically the end of it saying, I'm telling these people I need surgery. I'm telling these people what I'm going through pain-wise. At not one point through this entire conversation have they asked, are you? Are you in pain? Do you need anything? 
We love oh, you. It was none of that. If I ask right. a question on how many people in the family have had an aortic type heart arrhythmia, blah, 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 I don't know. My mother has eight or nine brothers and sisters on her side of the family. My father has 10 or 12 on his. It's a large family. So they were looking for family history questions. If I ask those questions, they answer them, period, sure. point blank. But when it came yeah. to because the abuse ultimately is their shame, the abuse ultimately is their wrongdoing, it is their sin, it is their whatever that they're still carrying. Yeah. And the only reason that they're carrying it is because they won't release it. And in order to release it, you have to be honest about it. Right. Now, they're not going to, um, and for anyone's abusers, they're not going to humble themselves very rarely and come to you and ask you for forgiveness. So we've had this conversation before with Annie and a few other people. If they do, it's going to be very late in the game. And the uh, forgiveness that they seek is going to be for their benefit and not because they are actually showing any type of atonement or being repentant towards you. Because you're not a person to them. You're not an entity to them. They see you as the same non-entity as you were whenever the abuse started, right? Mm -hmm. So if they do come, they're going to do it out of, again, shame or think that they need to absolve themselves. I call it these deathbed confessions. They're going to come to you when this is the last, you know, yeah. that's what my mother did. that left yeah. to be smoked, and they want to get that last puff of it before it's over for them. And then if it happens, it will be, again, for what they feel by getting that last inhalation of nicotine, not because you need to empty and throw away the box of cigarettes and it's healthier for you and everyone else to stop smoking. That is not why they will ever give you an apology. Yeah. So don't seek closure. Don't seek it. But at any point in time you're dealing with these abusers, I encourage all of you, speak the truth at all times. It will take a while before you stop screaming it, before you stop shouting it, before we stop crying about it, you will be able to tell the finiteness of what happened without any other emotional attachment to it. And that's when you'll find yourself in that euphoric sense of closure. Closing doesn't mean that it's closed and it's behind you. You're going to forget about it. Closure is you're closing off that emotional attachment, which actually prevents you from growing and moving on in your life and living a life and receiving healthy, good relationships and people and caregiving in your life that you deserve. If not, unfortunately, you're going to be stuck in a place of limbo Or, again, you'll be stuck in a place of being the abused who learned to become an abuser only because you didn't learn to adapt new behavior. So so do you think that you directly have to go to the person and say, you know, um, this happened and that's why I'm having, you know, these issues? Or can, 
um, people have closure without actually confronting the abuser? I think people, and some of us may not ever get closure because some of these people will just die spontaneously or die as just a, a, a condition of life because you don't need to speak to them or see them or things of that nature. You've moved on. The closure ultimately has got to come with you, Uh ultimately, loving yourself more than focusing on the abuse that they did, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Because my biological you'll forget it, but it's got to come a point in time where you've got to love yourself more than dwelling on the abuse that you went through with them. Yeah. Because my biological father, I could never confront him because he was dangerous still. You know, he was still a danger. Um, As in my parents are. They are psychologically dangerous now and emotionally dangerous to the point that I've got nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. I caution them all, watch your step around these people. They only revert to the nice guy behavior because that's what they're taught to do when you're a non-entity. Anyone mm-hmm. can change your diaper, and anyone can put milk in a bottle, and you right. think that's what being a parent is. Being a real parent is being compassionate and empathetic and caregiving and showing other means of love. That did not happen with us as a parent. So how can it happen as a grandparent? I brought this up in, in a text uh, um, thread on Instagram several weeks ago, and I told people, the worst thing you can do when you have not confronted the abuse is to take your children around these abusers because they will all of a sudden, if you think you can leave them alone with them, the abuse is probably going to happen again as it did with you silently and covertly, or they will pretend that the abuse never happened. As in my parents' case, they feel when someone is watching them or someone knows about them that they go back into their, they get silent about it, right? Again, they don't flat out say, you're a lie, that didn't happen. Because they're police reports. Cops were called out all the time. You know what I'm saying? So you can't lie. That's the truth right there. It's showing up physically in my body now. The truth is there. My mother's got... Uh, issues. My brother's an alcoholic. My sister has uh, bipolar disorder. It's showing up in one shape, form, or another. But if all they're going to do feel to me a form of abuse because it is manipulation, they use your children to try to revert back to a sense of, I want to try to be a good mother again, so I'm going to not hit my grandkids. Yeah. They're not actually doing it because they feel that hitting someone and abusing someone is wrong. Mm-hmm. They're not engaging in the behavior because they understand that life is moving on, that things are more open, that people speak and people are not so positive. They're doing it out of fear. They're doing it out of them not being seen as the nice guy with the best house in the neighborhood on the block anymore. Oh, no, Mr. Davis couldn't be that because he took his uh-huh. kids to Disney World all the time or they had the yep. best clothes on all the time. He couldn't be that. So they're doing it because they 
mm-hmm. don't want any cracks in the mask to show. Yes. And if you don't arm your children with what mm-hmm. abuse is, they will get around abusers and they will learn it one way or the other, even if it's not physical abuse. They're going to hear the toxic behavior. They're going to hear the bullying. They're going to hear the negative stuff. They're going to hear whatever. As in the next thing you know as a parent, it's overflowing in your kid, and now you get a call from your kid's school, and all of a sudden at 10 years old, your kid is now labeled the big bully in school, and you wonder why. Yeah. It's learned behavior. So I tell anyone, how can someone who was your abuser as a kid be such that just magically become the best grandparent. The word grand itself segues in. Grand means greater or better. How can you be a greater or better or grand parent to grandchildren when you were a shitty person to me? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for pointing that out. And you've never made amends about it. So just being silent about it, pretending that it didn't happen, again, putting the skeletons in the closet, sweeping stuff under the rug, that doesn't mean stuff goes away. So that's one of the biggest things that the abuser keeps in their arsenal, silence, shame, and secrets. We've got to learn to disarm them take our power back, and part of taking our power back is learning to care about ourselves. Yes. Yeah. When when my biological father was exposed and it went to court and everything, he told his mom that make sure she knows I'm sorry. And so she wanted to, you know, tell me that. And uh, my response was, is he sorry for what he did? Is he sorry for that he got caught? I said, because I think he's sorry he got caught. You know, and then she went into her shame about him being abused because she was an alcoholic. And I said, he was an adult, you know, um, and and she almost was asking my forgiveness for her parenting of him, you know, and her not protecting her son or her other son who he bullied, you know, and, and but things are coming out and uh, um, but not from him, you know, they're coming out in other little trickles right. throughout and family history. And continue to come out until someone rips the entire bed sheet off and looks at the totality of the mess that's been made. Right. So I wanted to uh, go through a couple more things here on the caregiving practices for ourselves, guys. And I can say the word learn to love yourself. That's going to mean a lot of different things for a lot of people. For me, It is about doing things for me that make me happy and make me feel good. You know, I'd love to say that, uh, I don't know, I may treat myself to a massage a month. I may treat myself to, uh, last year I went and bought an awesome pair of shoes at Macy's. I saw and when I got there, I was able to grab those suckers up for like an extra $30 discount because I waited an extra day to go get them. I mean, just elated at, at whatever makes me happy. You've got right. to do those things within reason, of course. And those yep. things that make you happy that are going to have a healthy impact, not a negative impact. 
So stay away from things that may be self-medicinal but not necessarily healthy for you, right? So we're talking about things that are going to be happy and healthy. One thing that a person who is informed about their own caregiving practices, and this would allow you to tap more into you being a compassionate, empathetic person. When you come across someone and you see that something is amiss, either in their behaviors, their words, their actions, what have you, they're just a mess, as we've all been trying to figure it out. So some of us have heard the term, well, what's wrong with you, right? We've all heard that at some point, and we've probably used that same term towards other people. Mm-hmm. So a trauma-informed perspective is going to help you to reach the same result and try to find out the actual answer if you're interested in caregiving. It's to turn that around and say, what happened to you? So I picked this up with a little information I've done before on domestic violence victims and women who were survivors of rape. Not realizing that a lot of the uh, behaviors that they found themselves on being defensive or um, not trusting men to go on a date or they didn't want to hug anyone. And these are women who were in relationships that were married, that were still having mountainous boundaries and burdens that they had put up. And so when you hear something that says, what's wrong with you, the word wrong itself is artificially attached to the victim as if you did something wrong. So mind you, that puts us back into the same headspace of being that perceived nothingless, powerlessness, um, non-entity to the abuser. We're just a speck in their world because something must be wrong with us that they did these things to us, right? So a more informed care would be to approach it and to say, well, what happened to you? And be honest and forthright and thoughtful if you're going to put yourself in a position to where you're choosing to involve yourself in the caregiving of others and ultimately the caregiving of yourself. um, Trauma-informed care, Uh, and these are just some articles and things that I've been putting together right now to kind of get through the, the show tonight. A framework uh, for trauma-informed care, a framework of thinking and interventions that are directed by a thorough understanding of the profound neurological, biological, psychological, and sociological effects trauma has on an individual, recognizing that person's constant interdependent need for safety, connections, and ways to manage emotions and impulses. And trauma-informed care and the practices of the care, when and where they start, they have no age limit or anything on them. So, But we do know that kids are bullies for a reason. We do know that kids start acting out for a reason. We know that um, um, an adult who is 25 years old, kicking the crap out of his 10-year-old kid, he's an adult, so yes, he should have learned some type of behavior someplace to not do it, to know that that's a 10-year-old kid, but the switch has not been flipped in his brain. So you can only repeat what you know. You can only do what you've been taught. And at some point, you've got to want to throw down 
everything around you. Throw down the gauntlet on what is in the fully aware and cognizant of what is negative, toxic, and unhealthy. And literally, get the hell away from it. If you want to try to start living a more trauma-informed care type of a lifestyle so you can ultimately put yourself on that path to where you will begin to reach a place of truth and healing. All right, so I want to talk really quickly, too, about types of trauma because one here specifically uh, is really going to catch a lot of us off guard because we're probably engaging in it and not really realizing it. And this is just on a personal level, could be as a professional level. For me, the last one I'm going to mention is probably one of the reasons why I was hesitant for a lot of years to start um, moving through the realm of life coaching and things of that nature, but I was almost propelled to do it coming from a background as a teacher, right? So here we're going to talk about a couple of main classifications of trauma. One is acute trauma. And the word acute means it happens sudden, it has a sudden or a rapid onset. Examples of acute trauma are rape, death of a loved one, or a natural disaster. The characteristics are is detailed by memory, omens, hypervigilance, exaggerated, startled responses, misperceptions, or overreactions. That's one type of trauma or an abuse scenario that some of us have survived. Another one is called chronic trauma, which will be more where I was. My abuse started with what age I can't remember, but it ended around the age of 16 for me on the physical abuse part of it. The psychological abuse, if I allowed it and allowed these people into my life, it would still be present today. And I will be 50 years old this year, which is sad to say. 77, 78, 79-year-old people respectively still choose to live an emotionally unhealthy, psychologically toxic lifestyle. And that's totally their choice to do that. They just cannot interact in my life doing so. So chronic trauma results from extended exposure to traumatizing situations. So that would be the constant abuse of myself, my brother, my sister, and my mother. Uh, my mother participated in abuse of us at times, but I felt that she only did it as a reaction to my father. Um, something as simple as the kids washed the dishes and we didn't, we left water on the counter. Instead of my mother, whose job is to make sure that we wash the dishes and clean the kitchen properly, she decided she was going to sit down and watch her favorite nighttime soap opera. And by the time my dad comes in to go to work, in his mind, my kitchen is still a mess, and then there goes the rage. So my mother would participate in abusing us, and she would spank us or hit us or whip us as a way to distract my father from hitting her. So there were several times I spoke with my brother and sister in past years that we felt that we were the scapegoat for her, right? But at the same time, this lets me know that I'm looking at an adult woman who's two years older than her husband, and she still cowers down and begs and pleads to not be hit 
in the same instance that her 12, 10, and 8-year-old kids do. And she's a 25-year-old woman, and she has to beg her husband not to hit her. It, it just, the the again, the perplexing, ongoing, never-ending cease of distress of that situation is what that was. Another type of trauma is complex trauma, which results from a single traumatic event that is devastating enough to have long-lasting effects. That would be an example such as a mass casualty, such as a uh, school or public shooting, a car accident with fatalities, or a refugee or immigration dislocation. So people who have been dislocated from their homes for, you know, war-torn countries or things of that nature. And that could be a complex trauma because it happened all of a sudden, but they're still reliving the nightmares and the things of that type of stress, so forth and so on. I can only liken that to where the Jewish community is felt that they, where they were during the times of the Holocaust. So I will, and then the last one here is going to be a person who is participating, consciously or not, in vicarious or secondhand trauma and compassion with fatigue. This means that is also known as compassion fatigue. It's not first-hand trauma, right? But being vicarious or it's second-hand, which means you're seeing or hearing or living things through another person. Vicarious or secondary trauma is a process through which one's own experiences becomes transformed through the management and the engagement with another individual's trauma. And for anyone that is in the business of being a counselor, teacher, or uh, uh, anything with caregiving, you really and truly have to be careful on walking a fine line here because you will hear and see so much of what your client, your subordinates, your student, your whatever, whatever they will bring to you. I, I will even put um, religious people in, into this group, uh, priests and pastors and ministers and things of that nature. You have to be really careful that you can hear that information, allow them to bring it to you, and you do your best at what you can to not allow that energy to stick to you. You have to be able to be open and honest and have the tools to give them the resources that they need to move past their own trauma. But at mm-hmm. some point, we're all human, and some stuff may get through. So you mm-hmm. have to make sure that you are not vicariously or through secondhand conscious or unconscious effort absorbing trauma through someone else's actual yeah. trauma. We have to be really careful on that. Well, so I've taken care of ourselves and taking care of ourselves. Yeah. We've got to be really careful on how we are healing and growing and what we're doing to actually manage the caregiving part of ourselves. 
Okay, so you were you were mentioning that um, observing abuse. So um, I get um, I I work with a lot of battered women in the shelter and stuff, and I would bring up how when their kids see them being abused, how that is drama to the children, and they would say, yeah, but he never hit them, or he never, you know, sexually abused them, or he never this or never that. And I said, but your kids witnessed you being abused. And uh, would that fit into that category as well? I think it will. The worst thing you can do because, again, whether it's your personal life, it's your profession, you're volunteering, you made it a choice to get into the ring with that person because they're, they're in the fight for their lives to try to make sure that they can live happier, healthy, especially when either the weight of the trauma or the amount of time that they spent in the trauma is greater than them finding themselves on the other side of it, right? So you ha- it takes time to unlearn anything. I tell people uh, from a teaching aspect, especially teaching physical movements or physicality or what we call psychomotor skills to students, it takes to, up to 400 repetitions for your body to become instantaneous with performing that one skill. Mm-hmm. 400 repetitions to do anything. So 400 repetitions of picking up a spoon as a kid with the parents like to sing to you and things of that nature. When music or something has got your endorphins going and you're feeling happy and you're learning faster at that rate, it can happen in as little as 10% of that time. So it could take you 40 repetitions if you're in a place of happiness to learn a new skill. So if you're dealing with a kid in a shelter and they've been abused for 10 years and they're only 12 years old, they haven't spent enough time literally outside of the abuse environment to start to develop psychologically or physically a new way to do anything, which is a lot of times why you'll find kids that are mute, they go inside themselves, what we call introverts, but they may express themselves through art, through music, through other things to try to get that kind of stuff out, right? So you spend time and you try to coax them with their words, to try to figure it out, to get them to talk to you. And we have to be mindful that if they have not had enough time, literally, to feel comfortable with doing it, their body is still in the throes psychologically of being abused because the physicality of the abuse is gone but they have not developed the tools to cut ties with it psychologically or emotionally yet. If we're going to be in a place of help, we got to be really careful that we're trying to get them to a place to where they're comfortable with um, speaking about the trauma. Some of them have to relive it, which is why it's best that some do maybe are signed on to psychologists or psychiatrists because maybe part of the memory and the brain is actually closed off. They are going to need medical assistance to go that deep. We have got to be careful that we can tune that off because you can hear only so much. And for me particularly, I anything with a child being hurt hits, molested, rape, anything that comes across in a news feed, a TV show, a this, another, I immediately turn it. I cannot digest it. I cannot. It's 
it's just not okay with my brain. I just cannot digest it. And so I don't allow it to come in, right, let alone permeate and stay there. So we got to make sure that we're in the healthiest place possible to yeah. do what we need to do for others. Well, I can't and watch anyone, you know? uh, think I mean, literally, it makes perfect sense. We've all heard of secondhand smoke. So secondhand trauma would make the same perfect sense. Right. All right, before we move on, I've got a few more points on what we can do to actually get into tips for preventing re-traumatizing ourselves. Um, any of the callers have any questions right now? Annie, are you still there? I'm still here. I don't have any questions, thanks. Okay. Do you want to um, see if... Uh, any of the panel, I don't know who we have on the panel, um, if they have any quick questions because um, Monica has so much more she wanted to cover. So let's make, if anybody's got a comment, let's make, make them quick. Okay, does anybody on the line have a comment to make? Looks like not. So we're back okay, to you, we'll Monica. Back to Monica. I think everybody is just very interested in this topic. You're doing a great job, Monica. Thank you so much. You've got a lot of great information. Yeah, we have about 15 more minutes to go, so we can cover a few more points. So these now, we're moving into tips for preventing re-traumatization. One is to learn as much as you can. And I wanted to bring that up first because, again, speaking on what my lupus diagnosis and I've come to terms with this, I call it my super ex-boyfriend because he just hangs around and shows up on days and there's absolutely nothing I can do to get rid of this guy, right? And he only now causes me an issue when I have what would be another routine medical procedure, it goes haywire because of the lupus, because my body is not ever not going to have lupus. So I've come to terms with it only because I made it an effort to learn as much as I can about this illness and why I had it. At first, it was probably a vanity thing. Um, a lot of people with lupus, I would say prior to about 30 years ago, there was a lot of deaths with people that had lupus only because at the end of a life cycle is a person has never received proper treatment or medication to learn how to manage their immune systems better. The immune system just continues to spiral and spiral and spiral and get weaker. And your lymphatic system, which is responsible for most everything that moves and carries the blood and nutrients throughout your body, it disintegrates and stops functioning. So you get kidney failure and organ failure and a few other things like that. So I made it a point to learn everything I could about this illness. And when I did, I began to be more okay with it. When ACEs came about, I realized at that point I learned what I needed to learn at that point because I had unconsciously been removing myself emotionally. I'd already been physically out of the state, physically away from people, stopped talking with them, cut off communications, no calls, no texts, no birthday cards, no nothing. Just leave me alone. I'm living my life. You live yours. And 
Once I was able to do that, then I began to look at things more scientifically. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this person brings us this because they did that, or this is what happened to them. I began to disassociate myself literally from it, that it wasn't my fault. It couldn't be. I didn't ask anyone to abuse me. I didn't ask anyone to hit me. I didn't ask to have lupus. I didn't ask to have this. I didn't ask to have that. So I learned as much as I could about what this illness was, what I had been through, and why it happened. And once you begin to do that, you're going to collect that information, not as to use it as a weapon against your abusers, because at that point I didn't care what happened to them. Again, it was starting to become evident to me, I've got to care more about what happened to me. And so when I woke up on those days and I began to feel better about myself, that I can, I'm living in a great city and having a great time and I've got great friends and we're going to get up and go to the beach today, then they get up that morning and worrying about feeling sad, feeling blue because it's my birthday and my mother doesn't call me and if she does, she's complaining and bitching and whining and blah, blah, blah about whatever, negative, you know. Once you realize you're actually doing those things more positively for yourself, that's when you begin to realize, okay, I'm loving me more. So once you begin to do certain things to love yourself more, like learn as much as you can about the situation that you're in, worry less about blaming anyone, uh, reacting immediately negative to it anymore, just learn all you can about it and apply it to yourself with the incentives that it's going to have a positive impact for your well-being, not about the well-being of your abusers. Um, Another thing to make sure that we don't get re-traumatized, a lot of this we can probably align or attach it to itself in other behaviors and relationships that we have with other people. Because I do realize if we haven't come to terms with what the actual abuse is, we know what type of abuse happened to us, but we're not recognizing abuse in other forms. And you haven't begun to put a hard no on any type of an abuse. You're just kind of on the fence about it. Oh, well, it didn't happen that bad. Or, oh, it's not really happening to me. So you allow behaviors into your life that are still abusive. You're still supporting the abuse of someone else. And you still support an abuse within yourself because you haven't allowed the abuse to not find its way into your your lifestyle. So one another reason we can do is we can look for the causes or the reasons of abusive behaviors. All right? You want to seek to understand the function of behavior and what the behaviors are communicating. What you might view as a frustrating behavior would be a coping mechanism in, a, in an attempt to do that, and that's exactly what it means. Once you can recognize what abuse is, anything that is not useful, it is not healthy, it is not safe in a person's behaviors, in their words, in their actions, in their gestures, in anything that they commute, uh, communicate from outside of them and they're putting it out into the world. It is not healthy. It is not safe. Anything that is the opposite of useful is abuse. I don't care how minute or how grand it is. It is up to us to make sure that we stay centered and we stay connected with engaging in and allowing into our lives 
positive, impactful, compassionate, empathetic behavior in the people that we surround ourselves with. So we have to do it, but we also have to make sure that the people that we allow into our lives are doing it. And anything else contrary to that, guess what? Friend, sister, grandmother, brother, whatever, I don't care how long or short I've known you, you have no place in my life anymore. Thank you and good night. Right? So we've got to make sure that we are looking for certain causes of behaviors so we can learn to recognize those negative and abusive behaviors when they show up. All right, let's see. Another one here says that you can weigh the psychological, physiological, and social risk of any physical interactions or interventions. So, again, we're trying to prevent ourselves not from just remembering any type of behavior, but being re-traumatized. And any one person, place, or thing is going to have the authority or the ability to just make us feel like crap again, you know. So we have to be able to compartmentalize things physiologically, psychologically, or socially. What are some of the risks of any type of physical interventions? You want to be sure to choose the least restrictive option possible as a solution to every situation. What works for me is to be open, to identify the things around me. I don't walk around with a chip on my shoulder. I don't walk around timid. I don't walk around judging people. I just live my life. But once I see or hear it for me, what I think that I identify as abusive or toxic or negative behavior, the least restrictive thing that I can do is to remove Monica from the situation. I've been at parties with friends. I've been at a bar with a buddy, right? I'll get up and I'll leave. My friends that I knew, we're totally okay and we're cool with each other, but there's another SOB that just entered the conversation or entered the group and their energy is way off. I can't judge my friend's lifestyle and who they choose to be around and what they're allowing them lives, their lives. I can only watch out for Monica. So I do the least restrictive thing. And also the uh, least physically demanding thing is to just be at the mercy to where I have to give anyone an explanation for anything that I do. No. All right, guys, I've had enough. It's time for me to go. Everyone have a good night, blah, 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 right? You know, and just move on from the situation. But also knowing that this person or that thing or wherever we were or whatever happened, that if there's any other attempt to get me around it again or to introduce me into it again, I'll politely decline to the point that the person or the place or the thing that I've been interacting with for several months, weeks, years or whatever they're still doing it, then I may need to reevaluate the nature of my association with that person at that time. And I've done it. Cold, cut off relationships with people 10, 15 years. Just a hard stop on a no. This is not happening anymore, not because I'm seeking to change you, 
but because Monica's put in enough work to change herself. All right, one last thing here to prevent re-traumatization, I'll leave everyone with this, is to provide consistent, predictable, and choice-making impactful opportunities. Meet people where they are, right? Be consistent and predictable in providing the feelings of safety to that individual, helping them to further reduce uh, helping you to further reduce your anxiety. Also, you providing choice-making opportunities, which means that you have to make the best choices possible for you. You can never allow anyone to have control over the choices that you make. Only you can do that. Only you can ultimately empower yourself to want to have a positive, impactful, stress-free toxic-free, beautiful, loving, empathetic, compassionate, giving life. We all have to get up every day and get dressed, take a bath, brush our teeth, head out and face the world to a job that a lot of us probably dislike. (laughs) It's the very fiber of our being, but we have to make a living. We can do that and not carry the burden of toxic negativity, hatred, or any of that. Most people, again, read to that type of behavior and that type of influence because they haven't been taught any better. So just as you were taught abuse and you learned abuse, it can be unlearned. But you have to understand what abuse is and be unafraid of calling a thing a thing. I think a lot of adults, will be a lot happier, will be a lot freer in their lives a lot earlier than, again, having to spend the latter part of their lives with health problems and depression and filled with anxiety and secrets and a lot of these other things that they won't even get professional help for. And they're going to go to their graves like this, you guys. You're talking about really and truly a wasted life, wasted energy. And life is too beautiful to me to get up and literally not appreciate the bloom of a rose, not appreciate lavender, natural lavender. A friend of mine were out over the summer last year walking through his neighborhood and got this huge whiff of lavender and walked by this house where they had beautiful lavender bushes. And it just engulfed your nose. Absolutely gorgeous. We were admiring them, and the owner came down and cut us a couple of sprigs and said, here, you guys, have a great day. That was an awesome moment. So we have to be ready to put in the work. It is not going to be easy, and it's never going to come to a point where you just stop living healthy or stop loving yourself. But trust me, you're going to have to do it every day. So right. the demons, those memories, and the abusers don't continue to creep up because, again, the physical abuse is not happening there. But if you're not learning to overpower that by learning new behavior, that old behavior is still prevalent, and that's going to become the only thing that you attach yourself to. Yeah, I like how you mentioned so earlier. I want to you guys to add, so many times. Mm-hmm. We learned so many times, we heard the message so many times that 
time learn it, we need to hear it so many times as well. Um, sometimes telling ourselves, you know, um, you can make changes, I think, is a big thing for me. Exactly. Keep reminding myself and making those, taking that those risks to really, like you said, look at look at those things. Now, did you say you are a life coach or? I am life coaching, and right now we, I am in the process of beginning that journey with starting my book. So the idea is to start the book and then to start the process of bringing in the life coaching more from a spiritualist, spirituality and a holistic point of view. Monica, I wanted to leave my contact information. Oh, yes. My contact information for everyone, if you need to reach out, call or text Monica B. is 678-632-1098. My email is confessionsblog2019, confessionsblog2019. I'm in the process of getting a new Instagram, Facebook group together and they've been a little wonky the past couple of weeks, but I'm hoping to get them together by the end of next month's program. Okay, so, so thank you everyone for listening. Please well? reach out. Can people get a hold of you on Facebook? And could you spell your last name? Last name is D-O-G-L-I-N. Thank you very much for coming on and all the useful information. And uh, you said you'll be coming back on again, and we are sure looking forward to that. Thank you very much. Thanks, all our listeners. And I'll let Annie close up. You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.